0: to the Don't Suck It Marketing Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron Burke. And I'm John Ledoux. And today we're also joined by Brian Lewis, the Executive Vice President at Vanguard Software, a company with some best-in-class business forecasting software. There's your plug, Brian. Thank you. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, and Brian, you're also an entrepreneur. Um, you founded at least two companies that I know that I know of, um, and at Vanguard, you've been instrumental in helping the company move into a phase of pretty outstanding growth. Uh, so I just want to say that we're very excited to have you here today. Thank Absolutely. you for joining us. Thanks for joining, Brian. Um, and just to really talk about your approach to to marketing, to business, and and kind of what you've done. So I think one of the first questions that I have today, since, since you have an interesting background where you were at Vanguard for a number of years, and then you left Vanguard um, to found a, a startup and then you return to Vanguard. And Vanguard as a company is kind of in a different phase now, and you're able to do some different things at the company than you were previously. And so to me, I'm really curious about um, maybe what you learned during your time at a startup and, and a couple of lessons that maybe you have then been able to apply to Vanguard that from your startup experience that have been really helpful in growing that business. So maybe you could just kind of tell us a little bit about your journey and, and what you've what you've been through.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think I would actually start with kind of my journey starting when I started at Vanguard. Um, I mean, at the time the company was quite small, although had about 10 years of history by the time I joined, it was still a very small company. So it effectively was startup-like in that way.
0: And I just want to apologize for the uh, the noise you guys might hear in the background. That is my dog, Maddie. She is snoring. Quite contentedly. Apologies, <laughs> 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 Brian.
1: Yeah. Um, no, it, just because it was small and had a startup feel to it in that way of we were trying and experimenting in different ways. About How many people were at the company when you started there? I mean, a handful. Um, so, it, I mean, it was tiny and everything was a go experiment, try something new, see what works, what doesn't work. Um, the product was quite varied as well. So there was a lot to explore in terms of, you know, I would say even for a small company, about three product lines, and then within that, there were variations. Um, So there was a lot of experimentation, basically, that was happening about how do we actually go from where we are now, and where do we want to be, and how do we get there, and all those kind of classic things that essentially a startup would go through. Um, But I'd been there for a number of years, and so when I did go off and to the other startup, it was, all right, what have I learned at Vanguard that I can take over there in terms of what worked and what didn't work, and a lot of it was that interplay between the marketing and the sales process. Um, so I know we'll talk a little bit about that today. Because you're, you're not
0: really a marketer, but you've done a lot of marketing, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm also, I mean, I would say sort of not really a sales person either. I <laughs> mean, my background was PhD in supply chain analytics. So it's a very different kind so of you're, area.
0: You're not really a marketer, but you're pretty good at marketing, pretty great at it. And you're not a salesperson, but you're fantastic at sales. I think that's accurate. Based on your your results. Why, thank you very much. So how good are you at the things that you actually do, Brian?
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I mean, I guess maybe it has been a theme about just experimentation. I mean, my brother and I have have also over the years kind of experimented with little ideas here and there, always as little side companies. I mean, never really intending them to become real things. Um, And so... We have an idea. He's a software developer. I, as you say, have turned out to be decent at sales and marketing uh, and understanding the analytics uh, around, you know, software that, that's um, well, analytically based software. So we've always been able to go through and uh, have an idea and experiment, whether that's at Vanguard, the other startup, the little side kind of hobby kind of companies. Um, it's always been about an idea. How do we experiment and iterate and try and turn it into something?
2: I feel like uh, you have been so deep on the front lines of of every single startup that you've been at that you have a very unique perspective that unless you were in this world, you wouldn't have gotten that level of accelerated knowledge. Tell us a few of those tidbits of knowledge that if you were going to share with our listeners that uh, both from the sales and marketing perspective, because I think that's probably the vast majority of our listeners, although we welcome everybody. But... What are those two or three things that you feel like really it, that you stuck with and that have, you have found positive results from that you could share with the audience and they could go, you know what, I'm going to get into that mindset or I'm going to make that a daily routine or I'm going to uh, take this to my team and share it with them and inspire them?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I always go back to is um i mean there's there's all the classic ways of lead gen and kind of marketing and brand awareness but to get people into the door essentially but the thing that i think has made the different companies successful in different ways in vanguard software especially has been once they're there how do we take them through the rest of that journey now that's again that mix of marketing and sales so for us all, all the companies i've been involved in have always been software as a service or at least I should say hosted kind of enterprise kind of software Um, uh, and so that essentially the demo script if you will i mean how do we do our initial discovery with a lead to understand what they really need yes maybe they filled out a form or emailed in or called in or whatever but that deeper dive what are the what are the questions we need to be asking to really set ourselves up for success we know what our software does really really well we know the messaging that we want to, to have out there. And then probably they saw some of that on the website. But really look at the needs, map it against what we do really well so that we can then have a next discussion that is now how do we apply what we do really well back to your needs? I mean, again, this is not really that groundbreaking, but that thinking in that way of, of their needs, but also we have messaging in mind. We know kind of the angle or not angle. It sounds bad, but. We know what we do really well compared to other vendors. If somebody's searching,
0: um, I think that's really important because um, it's it's one of the I think it's one of the key tenets of marketing, which is to to focus on your customers and not on yourself. But so many companies fall into the trap oh, of they they're so knowledgeable about their own product or their own services that they end up getting talking about just what those services and products are. Yeah, like here's all the features, yeah. right? but how do those
2: features apply to your market?
0: Well, if you're it's weird. You can you can get so into what your business does that that you just know it so well that you feel like it should be obvious to other people how fantastic it is. If you just list out look look at all the things that we do. It almost feels like sometimes everyone else should get this, but that is absolutely not the case. Even it's, as a
2: consultant, it's pretty easy to get trapped into that when you're talking to clients and you're trying to coach them on something and something to you seems so obvious but you're trying to educate somebody who that is clearly not very obvious to. How do you start from the point of, share with me the challenge that you're facing
0: so that I can walk you through how to address that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So do you think that your your marketing approach or your materials have in some way um, evolved or matured going from a more company-centric, product-centric thing to a customer-centric approach? Um, Yes.
1: But also, I mean, I think the the reason that at least even still today we will fall back on the more product focused kind of marketing process again, let's assume that we have a lead already that's that's talking to us or even before that. For us, a lot of companies are coming to us through various you know, marketing channels, but they're ready to buy. They, they know they have a business problem. I don't need to tell them that um, or, or what the business problem is. And for us in forecasting and planning, there's some kind of common ones. Inventory levels are out of whack and some things like that. They've already made a decision that they want to explore and look for software. They've, they've got budget often. And it's really a matter of, OK, there's a lot of different forecastings and planning solutions out there. So which one fits my needs the best? And they often usually
0: have a mental checklist. So you're 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 almost in some ways getting getting leads if you were to talk about a lead pipeline, like eighty percent of the way down the pipeline. They're they're almost ready to buy at that point. So, so yeah. there's a different type of conversation that you can have with people at that stage then, right? That's
1: definitely true. Because there it is almost a I mean, we'll often get a checklist of do you have X, do you have Y, do you have Z in terms of features? Uh, and basically we can say yes or no or yes with some configuration or whatever the case may be. But it really is it's a very product focused at that point, marketing and sales process all the way through to a close. And yes, we're reinforcing the business problems. We do have those discussions up front around that we will call the discovery call to really make sure we do understand the underlying business need. Because you might ask me for a feature in software, but if I dig through and find out, well, why do you feel like you need that? And then they give us the next level answer, and we keep digging down and d- down. It may be that actually that's not really applicable for them. The way we could help solve their problem is fundamentally different. So we will always still go back to what's the core business problem. But we don't need to sell them on the fact that they have a problem or market to them that they have a problem. The other end of the spectrum is companies have a problem. They haven't yet thought to look for a way to solve it. They're struggling every single day. And so that kind of messaging and how we would interact with somebody is more of like, I think I think of as like the classic marketing, highlighting the fact that, hey, do you have this kind of problem? If so, we should talk. And then how we solve it and how our software can solve it. Yes, they'll want to know the features and we'll do software demos or they'll test out the software, but we're talking to them more from a business problem perspective, not a product perspective. It's a more so consultative it's, it's just where approach. they add in that, that, that funnel, I guess.
0: So I'm really curious to hear from you how you kind of moved into that space. Um, whether it was a conscious deliberate decision or that's something that that just kind of organically happened. And I also just want to hear more about kind of how you've had to shift your marketing to address those different types of of potential customers. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a a conscious decision.
1: I mean, the company was growing off of the kind of ready to buy inbound leads. Mm -hmm. Um, But as as the company was growing, there's more cash to play with. Um, So essentially, we could start to invest more in marketing. Uh, There's a lot of forecasting and planning software companies and supply chain planning companies out there. So as we looked at the deals that we were getting, given all of the companies, there's a whole bunch of other Potential customers that we were not even getting access to that weren't coming to us to buy. You, so, weren't, you weren't addressing that total available market. Yeah, I mean a lot of. I mean our SEO placement worked really well for those inbound leads that were searching on those keyword <laughs> terms. But obviously, there's no way that there could be this many companies all being viable companies if there wasn't a larger market pool. So we started to look at how else can we get at those other customers that also are still ready to buy. Um, Although we didn't intentionally go after them, so we start look at additional search word terms. We start looking at the online advertising. Um, you know, we've done conferences here and there, and those kinds of you know brand awareness. But what we found work well is when we've actually got a customer that can co-present with us or as part of that process. Um, so we started just exploring. Well, where where, are every, where is everybody else? Uh, you know, looking for software to make sure we capture if somebody is ready to buy that we're there. And there's a lot of different channels for that. And then also just more of that general problem awareness or kind of brand awareness kind of marketing to get somebody really early in the process. And so now the leads that are coming in, we still have a a healthy, ready to buy portion of the leads. There's some that are middle ground and exploring. There's some that are pure educational. There's some that are planning for 2019 or even 2020. So we've got now it's a very different kind of process. It's not just check off feature list to close them. It's how do we help them prepare for a 2020 project, where they're trying to build a business case and things like that internally? Um, so, do you feel like uh, do you feel like your sales tactic
2: has to change when you have folks that are coming in earlier on in the the buying cycle?
1: Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, it kind of goes back to that beginning part. Are we just trying to check off the, make sure we can check off the boxes, or are we really trying to work with them on building a business case and how does Vanguard fit into that? Um, all the way through, just you know, here's some, what other companies are doing that are similar to you. So just trying to help them understand what's even possible. They may not have even identified a real problem yet. They're just trying to see if I'm in and just industry X what are other companies in industry X doing just in general that we could be thinking about doing? Um, so now suddenly the messaging and how we interact with, I guess, companies from a marketing, pure marketing perspective, all the way through a pure sales process, it definitely changes based on where they're at in that process. What do
2: you feel like um, in these situations where you may not have still a very robust marketing setup, where do you feel like you could use the most marketing help in, the instance where somebody comes in and they're really on in the buying process versus the folks that you are used to managing and handling. John's got his consulting
1: hat on right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think the area that's really important um, is just focusing on consistency of the follow up. If somebody's ready to buy, they want their specific actions, they have approval processes that they're ready to go through. They can lay out the steps to go from right now through when are we going to have signed contracts and want to kick off usage. If you're earlier in the process, and let's say you're really early, you might not have recognized you have a problem yet, or you might have a problem, but you're just trying to see what's out there. Or you're just doing some industry research. At some point in the future, you probably will be in a position where you're ready to buy. Um, you probably didn't do a great job. You've done a lot of internet research. You've looked at some of the key sites. You've read some Gartner reports or whatever else, and you've kind of created a list of vendors that you've maybe explored a little bit. Um, at some point, you're going to forget a lot of that. And so when you're ready to buy whoever's more top of mind or is in your inbox or something you just got recently is gonna, are gonna be the first ones you go back to. And if you find a couple that you like, you're not gonna bother to go back to the other, I don't know, 10, 20, 50, 100 other competitors that might've been out there. So being in front of a comp, a prospect, so to speak, on a regular basis with good interesting content that's relevant for what they're doing is gonna keep you on that list. So when they do turn that corner, you're already there and, and familiar. Or they're familiar with you already. It sounds like as part of maintaining a lot of that, those touch points, it sounds like email is still valuable. Yeah, email is definitely valuable. And I think that's where we start to look at, you know, how do we want to define the follow-up and that cadence, the drip campaign, so to speak, where it's, you know, email's part of it. Um, There could be, you know, connections on LinkedIn and messaging there. There's going to be a periodic phone call check-in. There's a whole, there's a whole host of things that I think factor into that of, Where's somebody at in the process? What and, and how do we best want to interact with them? Um,
0: yeah. And calls, obviously calls, very yeah. important. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys had to get started with this, this whole thing from scratch, essentially, right? I mean, you had some content and that sort of thing, but going from addressing mostly customers that are ready to buy to addressing customers um, all through the lead pipeline and, and customers that are gonna take a while before making the buying decision. That requires putting a lot of time and effort and thought into setting up that kind of marketing program. Uh, how long did it take you guys to get to a place where you felt like your ability to address those customers who are not ready to buy um, was, was pretty solid? How long until you, you felt like you had a robust method for um, being able to
1: convert those customers? I mean, this is something that I would say we've worked on, I would say, kind of in earnest, really, for the last two years. Um, I mean, there was just we made some conscious decisions to do that um, and look at, well, what does that even mean for us? What what are the kinds of messages that we want out there about the business problems that we solve also about what's unique about our product? Um, trying to look at where do we expect these potential customers are. So not just how do we reach them by pushing content to them, but where are they you know what websites are they on and, and things like that, what conferences are they going to? So, I would say it's been about the last two years. We've always done some of it, but as a more formalized process, I would say about two years now. Yeah. So you had that in process in place for about two years. Or you started putting into place about two years ago? I would say we've always had a little bit of marketing um, and some ideas around messaging and, of course, decks and materials. But starting about two years ago, we, that's when we made that switch to really turn it on and really look at materials development, messaging, and, and so on. So
0: it, I want to bring this up because in our last podcast, John and I were talking about metrics and identifying uh, your key performance metrics and basically figuring out how to optimize those. So I'm actually really curious to hear from you, um, when you put this process in place, what were the metrics that you were looking at and what are the the key things that you looked at in terms of being able to measure the effectiveness of that that marketing program that you put in place?
1: Well, it's definitely changed and, and still is evolving, I think as probably any good program does. I mean, initially for us, it was all about the deals closed at the end of the day. So, I mean, obviously, that's where we have to get to anyway. So that, that was where we started. And I mean, it always comes down to customers and it, yeah, money, de- right? Definitely. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I think it, there's an easy tendency to start to overcomplicate with tons of metrics that all have meaning, but when you're not ready to actually use them and you're not ready to make them actionable, you're tracking stuff for the sake of tracking. And it's just busy time for people to review these reports. Not saying that you shouldn't get that in place, but for us, we just looked at deals closed and revenue as a starting point, saying let's just make sure we've got good tracking of those kinds of metrics. Then let's take our you know the next step earlier, which is if we lost deals, and kind of worked our way through the sales cycle first, and saying where are there places if we already got somebody here but we lost a deal for some reason, let's analyze why first. And so we worked our way backwards through the sales cycle and then said, okay what kind of leads are we coming in? Where are they coming from? So now we're tracking by channel much more, I would say, effectively in terms of the tracking. And then trying to say, well, what are the quality of leads there? And then start looking, well, now how do we get more of them? And so we, I would say we definitely started from the close and just work our
0: way backwards. That's, that's great info. I mean, having, having that way of looking at things from a systematic process, rather than basically just saying, here's all the things that we can look at. And then what should we look at? But actually, what's important to our particular business, mm-hmm. and then going from there. I uh, see a, a lot of companies great.
2: in my space um, go. I see a lot of companies in my space go after uh, metrics for just the sake of having metrics, mm-hmm. and like you said, it, it's they spin their wheels a lot trying mm-hmm. to set something up only to spend a lot of their time trying to decode why they set it up or what it's supposed to mean <laughs> yeah. rather than really working from like... Who did this? Yeah. Who, who put
0: this in place? Why, yeah, I, Why is it in place?
2: And and, and and most importantly, like being able to understand what you're looking at and then leveraging that to improve a process or improve some sort of state of sales or state of marketing. Is really critical, and uh, I love that you guys went straight to the heart of what was important, mm-hmm. which is what like of all the leads that are coming in, what's closing, mm-hmm. starting there, looking at what the size of the deals are that is closing, and then getting an understanding of what what did it take to get there, and then you can start working upstream to figure out where is the breakdown in the pipeline, where the bottlenecks at. Yeah. Um, And I'm a huge fan of starting with sales first. I mean, marketing is fantastic, obviously, but it doesn't truly come into play when the economy, until
1: the economy is a scale actually work out in marketing's favor. So, yeah, I think for us, I mean, there's also a, a, this is going to vary by industry and type of product. I mean, our product, you don't go to our website, you don't self-sign up for a demo and try it out. It's a real business system. There's configuration. It doesn't mean it's complicated but it is going to require interaction with the Vanguard team, our services team, or, a, or an implementation partner you know, right. or, or around the world. Um, but, the, but that sales process and the, the expectation of a company coming in, I and mean, we've got Fortune 500 companies using the platform, and they're not expecting to necessarily go self-sign up. No. So when we start looking at deals closed and work our way backwards through the sales cycle, a different company, if it was more of the put-in-your-credit-card, self-sign-up for a single-user license of a business SaaS software... Your sales cycle is effectively that demo period. And so what's happening in the software that people are, what are they using, not using, and do they convert? Which is different than if you're selling a physical good out into retail. That's a very different kind of process that, I mean, the sales cycle is just different.
2: Yeah, you're selling a solution Mm -hmm. and a solution sale, although highly consultative really doesn't have that market that's going to be
1: doing a lot of buying mm-hmm. online. Yeah. Uh, so you're certainly going to be limited by that. And so for us, that we know we're going to have those human touch points. We're going to be interacting directly with the company. And so that's where we can have our messaging be a bit more adaptive and responsive based on what we're actually hearing that I, a company tell us their real, real issues are. Um, you also, uh, John, said something interesting about you know tracking metrics for the sake of tracking metrics uh i think a big part of this both sales and marketing is also around the automation of a lot of this process mm. um i mean i my opinion there's no point in automating for the sake of automating if you can't go through and do the manual calculation the manual yeah. tracking the manual mm. workflow first and have tested that out and find a good version that works There's no point in automating that yet, because otherwise you're spinning your wheels on automation and then you're automating something that wasn't ever vetted out. And so-
2: 100%, I see the same thing happen. Similar to the metrics, the companies get this bug that they want to go out and hire somebody who's going to run automation. And then that person comes in and they do their best to try to over automate everything. And uh, at the end of the day, they do that without understanding the sales process. And uh, in our last podcast, we talked a lot about what sales and marketing alignment looks like and the ability for anybody who's coming in on the marketing and to work closely with sales and understand sales needs and understand what does it take to address those needs at different phases of the buying cycle or uh, upstream, downstream of the pipeline, wherever that might be. And sometimes it's literally just saying, all right, Brian. We've got this really great eight-step email that we're going to set up, and it's going to trigger a task in Salesforce every other email, so that you can do a quick follow-up. Um, sometimes it's as simple as that. That's going to get
0: the the ball over the line. <laughs> Sounds like the ice cream man is coming. Down yeah, does anyone want, want ice cream right now? <laughs> we've been having a, a fun podcast in terms of. ridiculous amount of technical difficulty, so uh we apologize for that we're uh we've got a little bit more background noise than we would normally have but that ice cream truck jingle is great marketing is it not don't we all want ice cream right now so just just a little aside just for some a little color i've seen that guy driving around and um i mean that same ice cream song plays over and over and over again and the guy, when he's driving, he's always wearing headphones because he's like, he must be listening to some other music or he, or being gorging on ice cream the entire day. <laughs> well, no, actually, or he'd be insane. Yeah, he'd be nuts. <laughs> like, but it's interesting you actually bring that up,
1: uh, because I do think that in a lot of companies where after a while you've said your own messaging so many times that you become numb to it. Yeah. And somebody else hearing it for the first time, it's their first time. It's
0: brand new to them. I, I've seen companies that that come up with kind of their own terminology for something. And they use it internally so frequently that everyone who works there just thinks that that's just a common terminology that everyone understands. And yeah. then it becomes part of your marketing materials. Mm-hmm. And someone outside might be like, "This I don't know what this is. This doesn't make sense. But But then internally you're like, but but this is out there all the time and but like of course no, this is
2: why you're talking to your customers is incredibly <laughs> important like i feel like companies so often they make the sale and then they're so afraid to have a conversation with their customers that doesn't have to do with the direct solution that they don't get the data that they need um in order to either iterate or improve or to improve across continuous voice of customers is incredibly important yeah the voice of the customer is absolutely critical so uh, if any if you take any major takeaway from this entire podcast it's talk to your
1: freaking customers and eat some ice cream and eat some ice cream (laughs) (laughs) um there's also depending on the business i mean if you're in SaaS software and you have that recurring revenue your ongoing voice of the customer and listening to that and continuing to market to the customer, not that you're trying to necessarily get them to buy more or cross sell on different products, but they have a choice every time they come up for renewal of are they going to stick with you or look for something else. So you're essentially in those kinds of recurring revenue or subscription kind of services or, or product offerings, you're always marketing and still reselling to those same customers a little bit differently but I think that sometimes gets overlooked because suddenly that's yeah. when you start looking at churn rate and retention and, totally. and, and something like that. It's, you, know, you may get the deal and then you lose it later on. You always
0: need to be selling. Well, and the, the easiest customers to get are the ones that you already have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, the che- right. and, and they're the cheapest they're the che- ones to get yeah. too. <laughs> so if you don't have a good process to make sure that you're maintaining those customers, that uh, you're really lo- losing on a lot of revenue. Um, I wanted to bring up again um, – just before we, before we kind of end this for the day, you were talking about, again, going from customers more ready to buy, and I keep coming back to this because I think it's so fascinating, that, that kind of shift. So you went from customers who are ready to buy to customers that need a little bit more time. And shifting your marketing and having those processes in place, now you introduce the whole aspect of needing to know whether, and at what point, sales needs to start talking to those customers. So I'd really like to know from you what it looked like how do you guys were able to sit down and figure out um, when to hand off these leads to sales and how long did it take you to kind of hone in on that ideal profile of the customers and and how close do you feel like you are to to good and how much work you're still doing on that um yeah it's a i mean good question uh thank you you're welcome
1: (laughs) (laughs) we like to ask good questions hope that can give a good answer (laughs) um i mean it's 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 in flux for us um i think we've as The volume has grown so substantially of inbound leads, whether customers are ready to buy or just interested or just exploring, because we sort of opened up those floodgates in a serious way. We're now having to figure out where, you know, actually do some of that segmentation within the funnel and deciding what are our cadences going to be and what kind of materials. So at this point, I would say we're still figuring it out. Because this sort Mm -hmm. of onslaught Mm -hmm. of new leads has happened in the last two years where we're, I mean, it's great. It's it's exactly what we wanted to have happened. But now we're trying to figure out how do we want to classify it? So we're still going back to the basics of what deals are closing? If not, why not? Did we do something or was it just something out of our control and kind of working our way backwards? Um, But things like, the lead scoring and the segmentation is becoming important because ultimately there's almost only so much time in the day that we can spend. And so how do again we direct them to the right kind of resources and use our own re- internal resources most efficiently? Um, something else that has changed is we have now a global partner network, both resellers, value-added resellers, as well as implementation partners. And that changes things because... They are having these, you know, kind of again, human interactions with these companies that are outside of our control. And so they're turning around and asking us, well, what kind of marketing materials, what messages, what decks should we be using? How do we present the software? And some of it's obvious, some of it's not. And so, also f- internally, for us to really support our channel partners, we also had to get our own house aligned or built up or whatever the right phrase is there. We had to make sure we In could order. do it. Thank you. It'll in order. order. Yeah. House in order. There you go. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh,
0: but and and we, thanks for being
1: on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I, ask, I ask good questions, and I also help my guest answer the questions. <laughs> uh, so we've had to do a lot of that as well, where
1: you know we could be a little bit more flexible and dynamic in our own materials and create some new materials on the fly if necessary, but our partners aren't there yet. So that's changed. Also, they're coming in, they're bringing in companies that are just exploring. They have a good relationship with the partner. So that interaction of they may not even be looking, but the partner recommended that they take a look. And so now that interaction, both materials, ongoing cadence, you know, the cadence kind of goes through the partner now. So how do we, you know, you're not pushing directly that company. So anyway, just as more channel can be complicated. Well, and also just as more marketing channels, including both partner channels, start to grow. you're you're just there's a lot to deal with and a lot to kind of work out so i'd say again we're still in flux and figuring it out i think we're doing a very good job because the company's growing like crazy
0: which is great um and there's still definitely a lot more to do i feel
2: like slow and steady is
0: is the right approach in business if you have the luxury of being in a position where you can do that absolutely yeah yeah well brian this has been really great information uh been a lot of fun talking to you and thank you for uh for dealing with our technical difficulties as we've, yeah. we've gone Snor- through snoring doing this dog, snoring, dog snoring dog, ice, cleaning, ice cream, uh, <laughs> failure on the microphone. We did, we did stop and have a chip break, which was a yeah. good salsa. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm trying to think if I have any final questions for you or any final takeaways. I mean, again, what's interesting to me is seeing, seeing someone like you who's been able to be at this company and, have it grow and have it expand, right? And and you get the you get the opportunity to be a part of figuring out what's necessary for your business as it grows. As you as you say, start reaching out to these channel partners, and that's a very cool thing and, and really exciting. And it,
2: and especially hearing it come from somebody who's been with a company that's successful and profitable. You know, there's so many companies, particularly here in the Bay Area, that don't ever get to that level. What is it? Ninety-five percent, I would say, don't even get to that level. And don't even have that kind of traction to then be able to go out and make the the investments in scale to then grow even larger uh, is really, really great. And hearing it come directly from you, Brian, has been
1: really nice. Yeah, and I've definitely been part of the other side where you had high hopes and it didn't work out. Um, and I mean, that's a, very, that's a very different process. I mean, a lot of the concepts are still the same, but... The struggle and the intensity and the stress is very different from a company like Vanguard Software that's doing quite well. And we have a, you know, a lot to play with. Um, so, yeah, I've had, great,
0: I've had a great time. This was yeah. a lot of fun. And Thanks, Brian. Hopefully, if you, hopefully there, useful. If anyone out there does need business forecasting software, you really <laughs> should look at Vanguard Software. You and, and and check really should. Out. Out. And talk yeah. to Brian. Thank but, you. But for the future, if you do have anything that you'd like us to talk about, any questions for us, uh, please do reach out. You can send us an email uh, to questions at badmarketingmedia.com. Thanks, everybody. With that, we wish you have a great day. And I need some, like, Rocky Road or something now. All right. (laughs) Cool. Bye. Bye.